Guys, uh, it's our sixth anniversary. I'm really excited that we're all here today, uh, that we could celebrate together. Just real quick, uh, it's an it's a adage in church planting that within the first three years, your entire church plant team will be gone. Like the people who were there with you the first month, they'll all be gone. Real quick, if you were with us October through November, if you joined the church October through November in 2016, please raise your hand. Guys, yeah, and some have moved away, right? And so, like, we still have almost all of our OGs, and I'm so grateful to them that we've gone on this journey together and that, uh, that we've just stayed faithful to this uh, all these years, and um, it's just amazing. I'm, I'm pinching myself. So, uh, I, I, uh, I preached this sermon. We, I didn't preach it last year because we particularized last year. Uh, but I preached this sermon. This is the first sermon I preached at, at Grace and Peace on our, our first service. I do it every single year. I warn you uh, of two things. One, I'm still recovering, so I apparently need to watch my intensity or I might have a hematoma. <laughs> uh, we have some doctors and, and uh, skilled nurses and stuff like that. So I'm pretty safe, but they may just have to be like, dude, chill. Uh, also, I might go a couple minutes long because I'll be honest with you. Uh, this particular sermon has lived in my soul this week. I, I've had kind of a big gospel breakthrough week, so it might go a little longer. Um, we are going to be in Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Galatians 1, uh, 1 through 5. Back in July 1961, uh, the Green Bay Packers came to training camp. They had lost a squeaker in the championship game, pre-Super Bowl, but they had lost a squeaker in the, in the, in the championship game the year before, just a heartbreaker, and they, they were coming to training camp eager for like the next steps. How are we going to advance? How, what's our, our genius coach, Vince Lombardi, uh, going to teach us that's new, that we didn't know before, that is going to get us over the hump all the way to the championship. And so Vince Lombardi gets his players around. Got a little ring on the mic. Uh, and, and he says, gentlemen, this is a football. And he held up a football. And he started explaining to them that the goal is to score more points than the other team. You do that by advancing the ball down the field. He didn't give them anything new. He said, actually, we need to go back to the most basic fundamentals. That's how we're going to move forward. In the same way, the letter, of, of the letter to the Galatians, right? The Galatians were following this new teaching that was in addition to the gospel. And, and the way that Paul corrected and got the Galatian churches back on track was not with something new, but with a representation here. Gentlemen, this is the gospel. It is not something new they needed to learn, but something fundamental they needed to remember. And, and this is how it begins. Galatians chapter 1, 1 through 5. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please pray with me.
speak through your word to us, Lord. Let us remember the gospel that we so easily forget, that we may walk out of these doors this morning and forget that we are saved by it, forget that we are transformed by it. I pray that the gospel would dwell richly in this community this week and moving forward. In Jesus' name, amen. I was once, um, I guess still got a ring on the mic. Uh, I was once walking around in uh, Belfast, Northern Ireland. And uh, for those of you who are around my age, you remember, or, or older, you remember that in Northern Ireland, there were decades called the Troubles. The Troubles was an internecine conflict uh, between the Protestants and the Catholics. They were not fighting over, like, anything religious. It was all about loyalty to Ireland or to England. But it was intense. And thousands of people were killed during this conflict, the Troubles. It was assassinations, kidnappings, torture, bombings, terrorism, rampant throughout the country, and Belfast, the capital city, was, was the epicenter of it. And I, after, just after the Troubles, actually, I was walking around, Belf or walking around Belfast, and I was walking uh, down a, a road called Falls Road, and it's the dividing line between the Protestant neighborhoods on one side and the Catholic neighborhoods on the other. There were murals, there were signs of conflict everywhere. The, there were many buildings right on the road that were clearly burned down or bombed. There were poles with closed circuit TV cameras, right, just every few feet. It, it felt like a demilitarized zone, and it was. And there was this, between the neighborhoods, there was this great, big, ugly wall. I brought a picture of it for you. And, uh, and someone explained to me what this was. You know what they call this? They call this the peace wall. So the peace wall, they say, yeah, well, the, you see the, the bottom, it's, it's reinforced uh, uh, concrete down there, and that's 10 feet, so you can't, like, ram a car through it. And I said, oh, okay, well, what's the part above that? And they're like, well, that's, that's corrugated metal, so you can't take a ladder over it. I said, and, the, and, and what's that at the top? They're like, well, that, that's either wire or plexiglass. I said, they added that later because they were throwing bricks over the wall at each other, and they want, needed it high enough to where you really couldn't effectively hit anybody with a brick. And, uh, and I, I was walking along, and you know, you come, every once in a while, you come to an opening wall. There's only a couple where, where you drive into the Protestant or Catholic neighborhood. And, and when you look in there, you know, everything, like in the Protestant neighborhood, everything is painted Union Jack, British flag, like literally every curb, every house, it's flying everywhere. And there were all these like dodgy Irish kids uh, standing literally around a, a, a pallet that was burning at, at the entrance, like, Argh, you'll not come, They're not, they weren't pirates, that's my best Irish accent. <laughs> you'll not come into our neighborhood, Lottie. <laughs> you know, but they were watching who comes into the neighborhood. It, it, it really felt like violence could break out at any moment. And, and, and the, the irony of this being called a peace wall struck me. Because they need this. Conflict, they, they don't have this because there's peace. They have this because there's conflict. There is so much conflict that if there wasn't this great big wall, they would be ripping each other's throats out. Right? We live in a world that is full of peace walls. We live in a world in which there is so much conflict that stuff like this is actually a necessity. Think about this real quick. 
I'm very grateful for the American military, but we don't have it because there's peace, right? UN peacekeeping forces don't exist because we live in a harmonious world, but we, because we live in a world that is so full of conflict that you've got to mobilize violence just to stop it. How many passwords do you have? How many locks do you have? We are surrounded by peace walls. We don't have those things because we live in a harmonious world, but because we live in a world that is fraught with conflict and lack of harmony. What about in our families? You got an uncle that you know not to bring a certain subject up around? Yeah. You got friends like that? You know, like there's secrets in your family, things that aren't brought up, topics that aren't broached, people that you keep your distance from, people who are, are, are there's so much conflict, there is so much lack of harmony there that you just kind of limit it to, to maybe a phone call a year or something like that, or maybe when you see that, that name pop up on your call ID, silence. We have peace walls all over our lives and our families. And there's a reason. It's because we have peace walls in our own selves. There are sections of our souls, our minds, our hearts, that we don't like touched. There are memories of things that we've done or things that have been done to us that are so painful that when they're triggered, we, we physically recoil. And the best that we can do is to build boundaries around it, to, to guard ourselves, to maybe distance ourselves, or try and forget about it most of the time. We have peace walls everywhere. And that tells us that we live in a world and we have souls and families full of conflict. Now, we could all agree that a wall is better than open conflict. But let's not call it peace, right? There's a big difference. What do we make of Paul's greeting here in verse 3? He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Throwaway line? Just, hey, I'm going to get to the point here, but uh, let me just say this little thing, grace and peace to you. Or is it something much more profound? Let me strengthen my case that, that Paul is doing something on purpose here. He begins this letter, grace and peace. How many of his letters does he begin, grace and peace to you? The answer is all of them. Does he ever been, say just grace to you? He does, but then he will follow it with, Peace. Does he ever say just peace? Always with grace. The two are paired for him. And the word peace in the, in the hand and mind of Paul is something much greater than lack of conflict. It's the biblical concept of shalom, of something much more like harmony. And the, the reason that it is paired with grace is because there is one way in the theology of Paul to get harmony, and that is through the grace of God. Now, what is the grace of God? It's an undeserved blessing from God to us. It's an undeserved blessing. The point of 
like, it's not just he's getting to the point. This is part of the point. That the only way that we can have peace instead of peace walls is through the grace of God. If we want to experience life the way that God intended it, before harmony was broken, we need the grace of God. We need to find peace through grace. Now, where do we see uh, God's grace in just this text? Well, well, we would do well to read the entire book of, of Galatians, but I, I doubt we have patience for that. So let's just limit ourselves to the first five verses, just this opening. Where do we see God's grace? Well, first of all, we see that God speaks in. Look with me at verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle. What does apostle mean? It means one who is sent. By whom is Paul sent? He says right here, not from men, nor through man. He's not sent by men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So Paul has been sent, and the, the letter that we're reading, Paul is saying, this isn't from me, and it's not from men. It is from God. God speaks in. This is one of the graces that we see, that God speaks in through Scripture. Into this world of conflict, God speaks in. But not only does God speak in but all, through Scripture, but to us. Look at verse 2. It says, all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now, we are not the churches of Galatia. We are a church, though. <laughs> all right? Now, there's a lot of cultural distance between us and the Galatians, but we believe in the same God. We live in the same world, and we share the same human condition, don't we? The same sorts of things that we struggle with, they struggled with. When we read the book of Galatians, it's like looking in a mirror often. These are people who forget the gospel. We're people who forget the gospel. These are people who carry guilt. We're people who, right, you getting it? So God not only speaks through scripture, but to us, and also, and this is much better than it sounds, he speaks condescendingly, right? It's bad for me to speak condescendingly to you. It is good for God to speak condescendingly to, uh, to us. That's the only way he can speak to us. The Bible's in human language. Sometimes I like to point that out. Did, does God speak Greek? Well, I suppose, yeah, but is that like the native tongue of heaven? No, right? Like, we were given God's communication in human language. Why? It's because God condescends to us. He wants to speak to us, right? John Calvin called Scripture God's baby talk. God speaks in through Scripture to us condescendingly. Now, I used this illustration recently, but I'm going to use it again because it works. <laughs> I once, um, I once uh, heard about a, um, a documentary that a guy named Ron Suskin made uh, called Life Animated. It was about his journey with his severely autistic son named Owen. And uh, from birth, Owen had never spoken. And, and by the time he was five, like, like the, all of the solutions that all the experts were coming up with simply weren't working. And the one thing that Owen was able to interact with, the one thing that, that caught his attention were Disney animated movies, right? This was the era of Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast and all that stuff. And so that was the only thing that made him sit still and the only thing he would really pay attention to. So one night, Ron Suskind is walking past his son's room. And he sees him sitting in his bed reading one of those Disney animated books, right? The, a book of the movie. He also sees on the edge of his bed 
a hand puppet of the parrot Iago from, uh, from Aladdin, right? The Gilbert Gottfried voice. And so Ron Susskind has like this flash of inspiration and he, he like, you know, gets up against the door, gets down and crawls into his son's room. And he, he goes under the covers and he grabs that, grabs that puppet without his son seeing and he goes under the covers and he pops his hand out the end. So all his son sees is the, the parrot, Iago. And Ron Susskind does a really good Gilbert Gottfried uh, impression. I, I do a bad one that I'll do for you now. And he says, oh, and what's it like to be you? And <laughs> that sucked, right? Somebody said it was good. <laughs> All right, well, I had no idea that would be that good. Uh, and, and, so, and, and, and to Ron Suskin's astonishment, he heard his son speak for the first time in his life. And what he said broke his heart. He said, it's not good to be me because I don't have any friends. I don't know how you'd feel if those were the first words you hear, heard your son say. But Ron Suskin, biting his tongue, soldiered on. He says, oh, and when did you and I become such good friends? And he, he answered him again, and he said, when I watched Aladdin and you made me laugh. And he had this whole conversation with his son through Iago. Am I saying that, that God speaking to us through Scripture is like Ron Suskin speaking to his son through the parrot Iago? Yes, exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> that God comes down to us to speak to us. And, and look, that, that, that was the breakthrough. By speaking to his son that way and interacting with him through the Disney stuff was how he started to bring his son out of the, the, the most severe parts of his autism. And he was able to, to function and live a much more normal life. It was healing that his father spoke into him. What we need, if we want to move past peace walls and start to experience peace, is God to speak to us. That is one of the graces that we see right here, is that when we open the word of God, God speaks. He speaks truth to us. He speaks forgiveness to sinners. He speaks hope to despair and light into darkness, life into death. That's what we find when we open the scriptures. And, and here's something else. I learned this in seminary, and it was one of the best things I learned. Is that when we open the word of God, when we discuss it, when we hear it preached, it is not just informational. It is transformational. So if you hate my sermon, it's okay because the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to transform us. So even if you don't like what the sermon says, if it is the word of God faithfully preached and the Holy Spirit applies it to us, we stand up more like Jesus than we sat down. That is one of the graces of God that we see here. And I might add, you might notice if you've been around grace and peace, we, we read the Bible a lot. We focus on God's word. This is why. It's because we want peace, not peace walls. We want to know peace through God's grace, and we want you to know it. But not only does God speak in, but we see here that Jesus enters in. In verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us. And we'll pick up the rest in a minute. But he calls Jesus two things there. First of all, he calls him Lord. In a world where Caesar was Lord, 
Paul declares, no, Jesus is actually in charge of this mess, right? Jesus is Lord of this world. And then he says that he gave himself. He, he talks about Jesus as Lord and Savior, that Jesus entered in. How does Jesus instead of peace walls? Well, first of all, when he enters in as Lord, when he lays claim to his throne, like, it, this is really key. I'm, I'm going to, you're maybe going to not accept this at first, but the more you think about it, you'll realize that I'm right. There is one thing broken in our world, and it isn't sharks or shark week. It isn't the ocean. It isn't the mountains. It isn't volcanoes. It isn't spiders. Know what it is? It's us. The only thing fallen in creation is what human beings do. All right? Think about that. All true misery and suffering is at our hands. It's because we do not live the way God intended human beings to live. Instead of honoring the image of God in one another, human history is a, is a diary of oppression and genocide and war and conquest and the rich stomping, or the, 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 the rich and the strong stomping on the poor and the weak. Tell me when I lie. If human beings, if every human being were to acknowledge Christ as Lord instead of trying to live as their own Lord, how would that transform the world? Like if truly, if truly every human being was like, you know what? My actions, my values, my thoughts, my soul is going to be in submission to Jesus Christ. Like, you're not going to say, and I'm going to invade Ukraine. Like, that doesn't come from Christ is my Lord. You know, there's a lot of people who, who claim and self-identify, yes, I follow Jesus, but they're doing nothing of the sort. It would be truly transformative and healing to the world. Uh, it... Like, the more human beings that acknowledge Christ as Lord and follow his lordship brings actual peace. But there's another part to this that's equally important, is that he comes as Savior. Look, if, if everyone were to pay back the wrong done to them on someone else, what do we have? What do we have? Pretty much the world we have currently, Right? Full of misery, full of revenge, full of violence, full of escalation, full of, of uh, deteriorating uh, 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 situations, right? But the fact that Jesus gave himself for our sins, it, it means that when we receive Christ as Savior, we say, not only are my sins are forgiven, but I'm gonna, not going to make this person pay for their sin. The gospel actually gives us a way to make peace with those who have wronged us and those we have wronged. Otherwise, we sign up for an endless cycle of escalating misery. We cannot have peace if we always exact justice. There must be a way to forgive. And there's nothing else in the world I know of that makes forgiveness possible. If you're going to maintain justice 
and mercy, you need the cross because that's the one place they coincide. You know, as, um, as the apartheid era of South Africa was coming to an end, a lot of the political talking heads were predicting a French Revolution-style bloodbath of reprisals for all of the decades of misery and oppression that there would be some payback and deserved payback. But it didn't happen. It was a peaceful transition of government. The society was able to heal largely. And, and one of the things that they credit was the fact that you had the leadership of the church, in particular a guy named Bishop Desmond Tutu. Anybody remember him? He's awesome. Who, who helped set up what they called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And what it was is they would have a courtroom where they would bring in one of the officials of the apartheid regime and then bring in the people that they had harmed. And they would have to listen as these folks shared their stories of what they had done to them. And then there would be repentance and forgiveness. And that is how they were able to heal their society without gigantic amounts of revenge killing and reprisal. If we want to take down peace walls and have real peace, we not only need Jesus to enter in as Lord, but also as Savior. And it's not just like, like these are the, like the scripture came to us many years ago. Jesus died and rose again many years ago. It's, it still counts, but God is still active in doing things today. Like he's not done redeeming. And, and, and Paul refers to that next. The, the next grace from God that we see that brings peace is that he takes us out and brings us in. I will explain. He takes us out and he brings us in. What does he take us out of? Look at verse 4 again. It says, Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Now, present evil age may not mean that much to you. It meant it was something that was known to the hearers of the New Testament. All right, the present evil age is the age that we currently and to our knowledge have always lived in since the fall. This, this age where, where, you know, the the wicked rule and, and there's oppression and, and violence and war and that sort of thing, okay? And what they believed and what's being taught here is that there would be an end to the present evil age, that God would bring something new, that, 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 that God would bring a Messiah, a Savior, who would bring this age of righteousness. Sometimes it is called the day of the Lord, the New Testament, it's frequently called the kingdom of God. It's called the last days. It's called the eschaton. It's called the age to come. Okay, there's many names for it, but the idea is it's this time where God is going to act and bring to an end this evil age and bring a whole and righteous age instead. Oh yeah, here's a chart. I have a chart. I don't have my laser pointer because I love to point at things with lasers. Um, but so present evil age, right? You got this? Present evil age. And then there is a Messiah who comes. That is Jesus. And he brings in the age to come. All right. So the graphics shifted there, but you get it. All right. Now you notice here that there is a time coming when Christ returns and the present evil age ends fully and finally. But the, what the, what's assumed throughout the New Testament, but never gets explained is that we live in this overlap time. 
okay? That we live in this overlap time when, when the present evil age and the age to come are happening at the same time. That the kingdom of God and the, 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 this broken world exist alongside each other. It's kind of like um, if you're at a party or something like that and the DJ is bl bringing in a new song, right? And so like there's the old song, it's all and then the new song comes in and they play at the same time and for a while it's like because the, the, the two are clashing and happening at the same time. That was dope, right? Did anybody sample that? We're going to make a hit. That's, that's going on SoundCloud later today. But the idea is that there's this overlap time, right, where they're both happening at the same time. Now, how, how is this grace? Well, Paul is telling us that he brings us out of this current evil age, that we don't need to dance to the old song, so to speak, and that we are invited by God to dance to the new one. Is that overstretching the analogy or does that totally work? I think it totally works, okay? And, and we see this when he says in verse 5, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. We lose something in translation here. The, the, what gets translated as forever and ever is ionos ionos, right? Uh, and, and that, you hear eon in there, ionos, it's the idea of the age. It's the age to come. It's saying he brings us out of the present evil age according to God's will and there will be glory to God until the age to come is over, which is never, all right? We are brought out of one and in to another. Now, I want to point out, physically, we're in the same place. So the idea is that even though we live in the same place, that we can live in a new way that we don't need to live by the values and dictates, of, dictates and the bondage of the present evil age, but that we're invited to begin to live in the new one, in the age to come. It's kind of like um, in, in Frederick Douglass's autobiography, he talked about this really pivotal day in his life when he was still enslaved. Um, and there was this one overseer who was especially brutal and would torment him all the time. And, and he, was, he talked about this one time, he, he walked into a barn, and he was, climbing, uh, he was climbing up a ladder to go get something. And he saw this particular overseer come in the door behind him, and he had a rope. And Frederick Douglass was really afraid, and, and, and soon he, he felt the arms of that overseer wrap around his legs. And Frederick Douglass just said, no, not today. He, he literally, he narrates this whole thing, you'll read it, he jumps off the ladder and spins in the air and lands on top of the guy and starts choking him. And like another overseer comes over and Frederick Douglass like kicks him in the stomach so hard the guy starts throwing up, he's out, right? And, and he ended up fighting with this overseer for like two hours until the overseer was like, enough, I quit, I give up. And he left him alone. And Frederick Douglass wrote about that as like a resurrection. This is what he said. He says, I felt as I never felt before. It was a glorious resurrection. From the tomb of slavery to the heaven of freedom, my long-crushed spirit arose. Cowardice departed. Bold defiance took its place. And I now resolved that however long I might remain a slave in form, the day had passed forever when I could be a slave in fact. So it was some time before he actually escaped the plantation, but he talks about that time after after this, this 
fight as he was free. He was in the same place, but inside he was completely free. It couldn't touch him. That's the idea, is that even though we're physically in the same place, that we're invited to be renewed, that we're invited to take part in God's new reality in the age to come. This is key. Because a lot of you believe that those peace walls that you have up are there permanently. That those memories that are so painful you can barely think about them, that you wince every time that you do, you think change is impossible. I know because I think change is impossible in many places in my own soul. But that's, that's to believe that we are bound by the present evil age. <laughs> Instead, what this is saying is that the power of the resurrection that brings God's new reality is present and at work in your life and that you're invited into it. I'm not saying this happens all at once. But that as, as the, the life-transforming power of the gospel grows in your heart, that it transforms you, that it allows you, it gives you the tools and the power to have peace instead of conflict, to be able to take down some of those peace walls. Can you take them all down at once? No. But that God will begin healing you. And guess what? When you start healing, when you start becoming more whole, the issues in your marriage, if you're married, the issues in your relationships, in your family that you believe you're doomed to repeat. Because this is the way your life has always been. And the best you can do is hide behind your peace walls and stay safe and not get hurt anymore. That God has something much, much greater for you. That you can experience peace through God's grace, that God has, that Jesus not only died to save us eternally, but that we're invited right now to step out of living in the patterns and the bondage of the present evil age and in the kingdom. This goes for society too. Think about this. If, if God's people are actually serious about wanting to see the grace of God permeate their lives, of wanting to see the lordship of Christ, the, the, every part of them submitted to Christ, what effect does that have on the world? If that's what we go out and breathe out into the world, is the radical experience of God's grace through Jesus Christ, if, if that's what you're breathing out everywhere you go, what effect does that have when we all do it together? You follow me? When the grace of God comes into our lives, it brings us peace. We need to find peace through grace. A few years ago, there was a book called Unbroken. I don't know if anybody read it. They made a movie of it that really leaves out most of the important part. Anybody read Unbroken? Go read it if you haven't. Check it out from the library or something. It rules. It's the story of a guy named Louis Zamperini. Louis Zamperini, he was an Olympic runner, competed in 1933, I believe from uh, California. And, uh, and he signed up to fight in World War II, and he was uh, in the Navy, and he was on a, a flying fortress. And, um, and they got shot down over the Pacific, and he ended up in a, a, a prison camp. And um, the, the Japanese prison guards were incredibly 
cruel to, to everybody, but there was one guard in particular, a guy named the Bird, who, uh, who was in charge of this prison camp, who made it his personal mission in life to torment Louis Zamperini. He would hide behind doors, and when Louis would, would close the door, he would jump out and beat him. Right? He, would, he would starve him. He, would, he found every means of physical and psychological torture to inflict on Louis Zamperini, and he did so for years. And it worked. He broke him. After the war, when Louis Zamperini went home, he tried to just move on. He got married. He wanted to leave the war behind him, but he couldn't. Every night that he went to sleep, he would dream of the bird, the bird tormenting him or him beating up the bird. He, he, he became obsessed with killing the bird. He, he was like for, half forming a plan to go back to Japan, find him and kill him, right? He, he descended into alcohol and pill addiction because the, the, the internal pain was so great. It got so bad that one night when he was dreaming that he was choking the bird, he woke up, he was choking his wife. In desperation, his wife went to a Billy Graham crusade who was in L.A. at the time. And, uh, and when she heard what he had to say about God's grace, she made, she made Louis go the next day. And he did, and he left halfway through. He couldn't take it. But he went back the next day, and he received the grace of God in his life. He went home. He poured his liquor and pills down the toilet. That night, he did not dream of the bird, and he never did again. And he did go back to Japan, and he met with his former guards to forgive them. And he became a man of such great peace that became the hallmark of his character. And that's what he devoted his life to. We live in a world that has so much conflict in it. But God wants us to have peace, and he wants us to find peace through his grace. Please pray with me. God, may we know peace through your grace. May we more and more believe your gospel. And would you use this, this church to be a conduit of your grace to people? That people who are far away would come close to Jesus. That those of us who are struggling would be built up. That those of us who see the peace walls everywhere in our lives, you would bring us on a journey of healing through your grace, that we may know your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.